have a seat. Uh, today is family day, so kids will be staying upstairs. Um, I do want to thank you for being patient with us as we've uh, gone through construction downstairs uh, due to some flooding. And uh, so maybe if you've been down to the bathrooms, you thought, I didn't know I transported to Iraq. I didn't know that all of a sudden I was in a war zone. Uh, but no, it's just, um, we, you know, if we could make it pretty, we would make it pretty, and we will real soon. Uh, but they're just finishing up the drywalling, and it should be all back to normal very soon. But thank you for your patience. want to remind you, if you're going down, if your kids have to use the restroom, go with them, uh, because we just don't, don't want them to get hurt in any way. Not that there's anything sharp or, you know, explosive around. It's just, if you can go with them and escort them, we'd be very thankful. So once you're ready to receive the word, you got your Bibles out, let's open up those Bibles. Let's get, them, let's get them nice and, and wide open, and we're going to study what God has to say to us this morning, and I believe that we'll be blessed by it in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5 is, the whole book of 1 Peter is such an encouragement to me. No matter what is going on and no matter what the culture is like and no matter what my personal situation is like, reading First and Second Peter, first of all, makes me think my, my situation is not that bad. <laughs> you know, you read about some of the stuff that those guys were going through and he says things like, you've not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding of blood. So he's saying, quit whining. You haven't had to bleed yet. I mean, I don't know if that's something your dad said to you. <laughs> quit whining. You're not bleeding. But sometimes I read that and I'm encouraged, not because, now I'm not encouraged because somebody else is going through something tougher. Because, you know, if that were the case, you'd be encouraged all the time and you'd, you'd really be a sadistic person. But I'm encouraged because though they were going through something worse than I'm going through right now, the grace of God was big enough, the power of God was strong enough, the mercy of God was wide enough, the love of God was big and deep enough that they were able not only to come through it, but to come through it stronger, to come through it with, uh, with uh, more uh, uh, pure knowledge of who they were and the knowledge that their faith was worth it, that their faith was, was just as they were told from the very beginning when they received it, that the faith based on Jesus Christ, based on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that faith was worth more than gold and, and was more precious, not only more precious, but more enduring than anything else. Because that that faith was based on the word of God, which is endured. And when the world passes away and when mountains fall and seas get sucked into the earth or however it goes, whenever the, earth, the, the world ends and all of this just crumbles and goes to pieces, the word of God will endure. So the scripture tells us that because we believed in that word, because our faith is based on something eternal, even when things change around you, even when things seem impossible around you, even when things seem bigger than you, you've held on to something far more eternal. You've held on to something far bigger, far more enduring. And so even when kingdoms are shaken, and we see that all over, not only have we seen the earth shaken in natural ways, and Jesus said that's just the birth pangs of what's to come. That's the earth groaning because it's, it's, we're reaching its end. He says, not only have we seen the, the earth groaning and, and natural shaking, but we've also seen kingdoms shake at a, at a rate that, that is pretty rare. I mean, this is that we're coming to a point where we're realizing we live in an unstable world. But don't worry, because the Bible says, even though the kingdoms of the world will be shaken, we serve an unshakable kingdom. So no matter how changing the world is, no matter how volatile it seems, you're holding on to something enduring that it doesn't matter what changes around you, the enduring word of God, the enduring promises of God, and the enduring God himself is never changing. He's worth holding on to. But let's read in 1 Peter chapter 5. And I want to just start in verse um, 5. And 1 Peter 5, 5, it speaks to you younger men. Now, I'm not going to be the one to draw the line to who gets to say that's my scripture. Maybe you're 85 years old and you go, he's talking to me today. And that's cool. I'm not going to tell you otherwise. 
We know a lot of our young men right now are at camp, but we got, I, see some, I see some young men out there. Once again, I'm not going to get into the trap of telling you what that is and who calls themselves old, who calls themselves young. But he says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. <clears throat> and all of you, now I should say, just to give you background, he has just addressed the elders, and he's addressed how they treat the elders. Then he says, you young men, be subject to your elders. Now why does he have to tell them that? Because young men, by nature, and, and women, you probably identify with this as well, young men by nature uh, have a tendency to say, it's my turn now, pass me the reins, we know how to do it. Come on, guys, you're, you're old school, let's do it this way. And he's saying, guys, don't get too, don't get too anxious to go overthrow the, <laughs> the generation before you, because they're still around. You know, there was a movement, Josh and I were talking about this as we uh, picked him up from the airport on Thursday. We were talking about, there was a movement which said, you know, this is the Joshua generation, and a lot of what they taught about that was good. But there were some of them that said, this is Joshua generation, Moses, my servant, is dead, it's our turn now, forget those guys, it's our turn. The only problem was those guys weren't dead that they were talking about. And so, you know, if you know the story of, of Joshua, Joshua served Moses faithfully all of those years. Joshua was not a young man when he took over. Joshua was like, you know, he was like 80 years old when he finally got the reins. Can you imagine waiting that long, being an apprentice under a guy for that long? Joshua waited until Moses was done. Moses stood on top of a mountain. God gave him a chance to look at the promised land. God says, take a look. And then... Moses was no more. Now, I don't know what you make of that. It sounds like God had something to do with it. I don't know. Did God push him off the cliff or what did he do? No. <laughs> Either way, Moses was happy. He had lived a long, full life. The Bible said even then his eyes were still clear. His strength was there. He was ready to go. And God took him. And then it says, then God said to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, you go and you take the children of Israel into the promised land. The thing about that story is... Joshua was not the shadowy figure behind Moses pushing him off. Joshua was not saying, okay, Moses, your time's up. You've seen the promised land, your time's up. No, Joshua waited on the Lord, and the Lord exalted him. Now, some people uh, get to that point at a much younger age. David, he was much younger. There, Jesus was, was, you know, 30, 31 when he started his ministry. So we're not going to just pick an age randomly and say, this is the age you should start taking over the reins or you should push your way in. But what he does say is don't get so anxious to push your way to the top. He says, you be subject to your elders. And I think this is also, this might be physical, but this is also spiritual. These people that have been in it longer than you. He says, be subject to your elders because, you know, Paul talks to Timothy. He says, don't let anybody look down on you for your youth. Timothy was a young pastor. He says, don't let anybody look down on you, but you be an example to them. And so sometimes there's elders in the faith that are young, but they've been at it for a while. But either way, he says, be subject to your elders and all of you, young, old, men, women, everybody, all of you clothe yourself with humility. Oh, that doesn't sound like everybody's favorite, favorite outfit, you know? What am I putting on today? Humility. <laughs> Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Such, I mean, you know, there's another place, I believe it's the Philippians, where it says, uh, don't be, be of the same mind to one another. Don't be haughty in mind. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't be haughty in mind. He says, but regard each other, regard every other person as more important than yourself. Now, here's the deal. He doesn't say in that scripture that everybody else is more important than you. Because we know that God values you individually, doesn't he? Right? So you don't have to go around saying, I'm worthless, I'm, I'm nobody. He says, but treat everybody as if they're more important than you. God values you. You have great worth to him. I know, it's, I know it may sound cliche to you because you probably heard it a bunch of times, but like Billy Graham used to say all, over and over again, and I think he's, he still probably says it. If you were the only one on the planet, Jesus still would have died for you. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? So he puts the price of your soul at more than the whole world. You're worth more than the whole world. You're worth his life. 
So you are worth something. And when you are confident in the value he's placed in you, it's easier to be humble towards one another. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you're confident that Jesus has valued me, he's put worth in me, I am worth something, it's very easy to be humble because not, you're not insecure about who you are. You're not trying to be something you're not. You're not afraid that if I lower myself, somehow I'm not going to be worth as much. When you know who you are in Christ, when you know who you are in him, it's very easy to be humble towards one another. It's very easy to lower yourself because you, it's not taking anything from you. You're, you're, you're not less of a person because you humbled yourself. In fact, Jesus says you're more of a servant. You're greater in his kingdom when you humble yourself. Yes. Now look what it says. It says, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. So that should be one of the main characteristics. You know, clothing is something you see on the outside, isn't it? Clothing's not something you have, to, you have to find out after a long period of time. Clothing is something that is immediately apparent. When you are clothed with humility, you don't have to get to know somebody that long to know they're, they're humble. Now, I, I, we've seen this in the world. We've seen the humility of Christ, and we've seen that false, self-deprecating humility that actually is is. is counterproductive. Um, it actually, it, it, strangely enough, is tied to pride. Now, so when we're talking about the humility that Jesus is talking about, I think if you want some examples, look in the New Testament. Look how they handled themselves. Humility is not the same as insecurity. Right. Humility is not saying, well, I don't know if it's going to, oh, I can't really do anything. Maybe you guys, you guys are better than me. Humility says, I know who I am in him. Yes. You see, Jesus said, if you're connected to the vine, nothing's impossible. When you're connected to the vine, ask anything in my name and you'll have it. You will bear much fruit. You will be productive. But he says, apart from me, you can't do anything. Now, that's what humility is based on. Humility is based on the knowledge that in my own strength, in my own flesh, in my own will, I can't do anything. But through him, whatever he calls me to do, I can do it. I can do it because he's doing it through me. He is more than able, and I'm connected to him. I'm being used by him. Do you notice when the apostles, when the disciples, when even some of those uh, guys that didn't have an official title other than they were to take care of people who needed food, when those guys walked into a new town, a new village, they confidently preached the word of God. They confidently laid hands on the sick. They confidently went in and said, Peter even said, Silver and gold I don't have, but what I have. He doesn't just say, let me check. I, I'm going to have to ask. That's above my pay grade. He says, what I have. How does he know he has the ability to say to this man, get up and be healed? Because he just had a conversation with Jesus not that long ago where Jesus said, in my name you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He's not doing it because he thought it would be a cool idea. He's doing it because Jesus said, in my name, you go and do this. So his humility is not insecure. His humility is not doubtful. His humility is not saying, I can't do it. His humility is saying, everything I'm going to do is coming from him. Because when he's questioned about it, and they say, by what authority did you do this? He didn't say, I hung with Jesus for a while. What do you expect? I learned some tricks. He doesn't say, well, you know, I've been praying for seven days straight, and I just knew if I prayed and I fasted that God would look at me and say, there's a man I can use. No, he says, friends, I want you to know, it's not by my own personal piety or holiness that this guy got healed. It's not because I'm something special. It's not because I'm holier than you. It's not because I prayed more than you. It's because... The name of Jesus, he says, it's by the name of Jesus, this man stands before you healed today. In other words, it's because Jesus wanted him healed, and I was willing to be used by him. You want to be used by God? You can't, you can't waffle around doubting whether he can use you or not. Right. you got to know he can use you. He can use a donkey to prophesy. He could probably use you. Now, maybe you say you're a little bit more hard-headed than a donkey. Maybe you smell a little worse than a donkey. But I think he can use you. 
I think he can. In fact, I know I, he can. And so when we talk about humility, it's not this, this mealy mouth, go around telling everybody how worthless you are. It is confidence in Jesus Christ and treating other people as if they're more important than you, understanding that everything good that's ever going to come out of your life is because you're connected to him and not of yourself, and understanding that you don't need to push yourself in a position. He'll exalt you. You don't need to push your way. You don't need to climb the ladder. You don't need to push yourself to the front of the line. In fact, Jesus says, if you'll put yourself at the back of the line, I'll move you up. Jesus, I mean, here, this is what's interesting. Uh, in a minute, well, let's just finish reading this, and then I'll tell you what's interesting. Oh, spoiler. He says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. This verse right here, now when he says God is opposed to the proud and he gives grace to the humble, he's, he's quoting a modified quote from the Old Testament. And that quote shows up not only in 1 Peter, but it shows up in the book of James, and we'll, we'll see that in a minute. But Jesus says this about humbling yourself and God will exalt you. Jesus used that three, four times. I mean, he, this was something that was... That was, was just big in his, in his teaching, in his preaching, in his life. He didn't just say it three times in one story. It was spread out. This was something he consistently taught. And this is something that his disciples and apostles, when they wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they wrote the same thing. Apparently, it's important. Jesus said, when, one time when he says this, he, he tells a story because Jesus shows up. Somebody invites him to dinner. And the scripture says that Jesus is paying attention to how they pick the assigned seating. I mean, how would you like to invite Jesus to dinner and have him like looking at your decor and, hmm, interesting how you're seating people. You know, like you just feel so self-conscious, I think. <laughs> but Jesus is watching them. You know, Jesus just, he liked to watch how people worship God. He liked to watch how people treated one another. Uh, you know, he's, we've got a story in the, in the New Testament where he's watching people give. And he's, he's looking at the amounts that they're giving. And he's commenting on it to his disciples. How many of you would be comfortable with that? And we just sat a guy up here and said, oh, that's in an envelope. Can you turn it over so I can see how much it is? And then he turns to his students and goes, okay, see that? They make way more than that. That's nothing. Now see that. That lady didn't make a lot. She gave a lot. Oh, look at that lady. I mean, you would, you'd feel like, ah, I'm not going to this church anymore. I'm done. In fact, we don't do that. We're not Jesus. <laughs> uh, the Lord's never even came close to leading us in that direction. However, Jesus did do that. And when Jesus is at a, at a banquet, he's watching how they're seating people. He's paying attention to the seating charts. He's looking because they have assigned seating. And he goes, you know, he's got some ideas, right? And he, he tells them how they should see. And then he says, he says, listen, if you show up at a banquet, if you show up at a banquet, you don't know where to sit. He says, put yourself at the lowest place at the table. Because then your host, could, if you're supposed to be higher at the table, your host will come along and go, move up to the higher seat. Now, see, in this culture, where you sat was so important. Right now, we'd be like, who cares? But back then, it mattered where you sat. It said a lot about what, who you were. It said a lot about uh, how you respected these people. And you could really insult somebody by either sitting in the wrong spot or putting them in the wrong spot. He says, when you sit at a table, you pick the worst seat. If you're supposed to be in a better seat, your host will come along and go, hey, move up. What are you doing sitting there? I don't know some of you already had that happen to some degree. You know, somebody says, what are you doing there? Come on here sit over here but he says what if you picked a seat that was like the best seat in the house and you thought you deserved that seat how embarrassing is it going to be when they go excuse me you can't sit there you're going to feel like an idiot so he says it's better to pick the low seat and let you let your host lift you up and then he says in the same way he quotes this he says humble yourself Humble yourself, and God will exalt you at the right time. If you humble yourself, which to humble yourself means to make yourself low. If you humble yourself to stoop low, if you'll say, all right, I'm going to take this seat, God will be the one that lifts you up. And when God lifts you up, nobody can argue about where he puts you. 
When the host tells you, sit over here, nobody can tell you you're not supposed to be in that seat. When God puts you in a position, who's going to tell you you don't belong there? When you put yourself in that position, for the rest of the time you're in that position, you're going to have to defend why you're there. You know, <laughs> the Apostle Paul went through a laundry list of why he was least qualified to, become an, to be called the, an apostle. We look up to him like he's a, he's a great man. He uh, wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. Much of what we know about the gospel of Jesus Christ, God used Paul to communicate that to us. But Paul says, I am least qualified to be called an apostle of Jesus Christ because I persecuted the church. But then he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, maybe you like to picture him saying a little bit more Looney Tunes. I am what I am, and that's what I am. That's not Looney Tunes. That's Popeye, right? Maybe you picture him saying that. But he says, by the grace of God, I am an apostle. You know what he's saying? Because think about what, what grace is. Now, we understand grace. Many of you understand grace immediately. The word brings back thoughts of your salvation, how the grace of God uh, made you righteous when you were unrighteous, how the grace of God reached up and took you out of the pit and put you up where uh, it seated you in heavenly places. Many of you think of the grace of God when Jesus died on the cross for you, rose again for you. And that's, that's one of the most beautiful things about the grace of God. But I want you to see in the New Testament, the great grace is not just, is not just God overlooking your flaws. In fact, if we're to be specific, the mercy of God is, like Brother, Brother Burke said a few months ago, the mercy of God is you not getting what you deserve. You know what I mean? Some of us deserve a licking. We all deserve death. That's not fun. We all deserve death. And the mercy of God, David said, it's by his mercy we're not all consumed. It's by his mercy we're not all crispy critters. But he says, it's, it's the mercy of God that says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve because you don't deserve such great things because we rebelled against God. His mercy saved us from, from the wrath of God. But it says it's the grace of God that gives us what we don't deserve. So when that prodigal son comes home, it's the mercy of his father that keeps him from getting the licking of a lifetime. But it's the grace of his father that puts clean clothes on him and a ring on his finger and a turban on his head. It's by the mercy of God that you did not receive the punishment for your sins. It's by the grace of God that you have been lifted up and seated with Christ Jesus, filled with his spirit, made a child of God, included and brought in and adopted in the family of God so that your spirit cries out, Abba, Father. And the Bible says, as we read through the New Testament, that grace is often referred to as the empowering of God to do what you couldn't do, to be who you couldn't be. The grace of God is God. God working through you in ways you can never do it, do it yourself. Where I am weak, he is strong. Where I am flawed, he is perfect. And when I rely on the grace of God, he does through me what I never could do on my own. And the Bible says here that he gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Why? Because when you're proud, you don't think you need him. You think you can do this on your own. And God is actually opposed to the proud, which means when you got your own pride and you think you're hot stuff, you're actually resisting God himself. But he gives grace to the humble. If you'll just say, I need you, and I'm nothing without you, and you know what? I'm not going to push my way in anything. I'm going to let you put me where I need to be at the right time. Nobody can tell you you don't belong. Nobody can pull you out of your place. Nobody can push you out. Nobody can shove you out. No storm can tear you out because the grace of God is big enough to keep you there. So Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I, I don't fit the, the bill. I don't qualify on my own. But it is because of his grace that I call myself an apostle. And, and you see in that book that he writes, when that letter he's writing that, it, he, had to, he had to stand up for himself and say, I am an apostle. I'm the guy that God sent to you guys. These fakers have come and told you not to listen to me. Don't make me come down there. He actually says that. He says, don't make me come down there. Next time I visit, I want it to be a happy visit. <laughs> Do you ever have that, that time where you're so looking forward to your dad coming home from work? Oh, I can't wait to see dad. He said, we're going to go outside and play catch. This is awesome. Do people still play catch, you know? Or is it just iPhone catch? <laughs> <laughs> I'm passing it to you, dad. Okay, I caught it. All right. 
Well, that's an app idea. We could be millionaires. All right, no, just kidding. <laughs> no, you know, we, so you, you, you can't wait for your dad to come home and play catch. And then your mom says, what'd you do over here? Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, you forgot about that. Wait till your father comes home. And all of a sudden, ah, what was going to be a happy visit is not such a happy visit anymore. Dad coming home was a happy thing. Now it's not a happy thing. So when Paul says, you know, when I come to you, I want it to be a happy visit. He's standing up for who he is. He's saying, I'm an apostle. I'm the apostle God sent to you. And you know what, guys? You probably should treat me like that. Now, how does a guy who's not qualified to be an apostle have the gut, the gall, the nerve to say that? Because by the grace of God, I am what I am. Yes, sir. Come on out. I didn't make myself this. I didn't put myself in this position. I didn't push my way to the top. I didn't shove anybody out of the way. He's saying, I'm here because God put me here. Now, when you understand that, you say, you say, is that humility? Of course it is. Because he says, it's by the grace of God I am what I am. And that grace did not prove to be in vain toward me. For I worked harder than everybody else. But lest you think, I mean, it's just, this is my bracket here. Lest you think that he's saying, I'm the hard worker and everybody else is a slacker. He finishes the paragraph with this. But it wasn't me working. It was the grace of God working through me. See, that's humility. Humility says, I know who I am, but I'm nothing without him. Humility says, without him I can do nothing, and I am not going to shove my way to the top. I'm not going to push myself. I'm not going to seat myself in the position, in the nice, nice seat at the nice table. I'm going to let God put me where he wants to put me. And you know what? If he, if he says, the best place for you right now is mopping the floors. I'm going to go mop the floors. I'm going to do it unto the Lord. If he says the best thing you can do right now is sit at the lowest seat because that's where I've got you. If you sit at the lowest seat, there's a conversation you're going to have that's going to change that person's life. Then sit at the lowest seat and watch what God can do. But let God exalt you. He says he's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Then he's saying, remember how it started. Started with young men that just can't wait to, they're itching to get their way to the top. Get, give us our chance. Give us our turn. And he says this. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Do you know under the mighty hand of God is not a place of oppression. It's a place of protection. To be under the hand of God is not him holding you down, is not him oppressing you, it's him covering you. And that same hand that covers you can lift you. And as you're being lifted, it's still covering you. What a good place to be. He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Anybody here comfortable with being exalted? See, it's, it's sometimes tough to find that balance. You just learned how to be humble. Just figured it out. I was cocky. I was stuck up. I was arrogant. I thought I could do it all myself. And I learned how to be humble. Now, can you get used to the idea that at some point in your humble life, God's going to lift you and put you in a position where you don't feel you deserve to be? Some people are uncomfortable being at the bottom. Some people are uncomfortable being at the top. You know, the Apostle Paul said, Apostle Paul said, I'm, I'm okay with having a lot, and I can live with having a little. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If I have more than enough, cool. If, I, if, I'm, if, I'm, having, if I'm in a missionary situation where, where, you know what, you're having to tough it out, you're not, you're not getting your fancy, your fancy bedroom and your fancy food, that's okay for the sake of the gospel. But he says, I can do all those things through Christ who strengthens me. So you know what? He had to get used to the, to, he had, not only had to get used to sometimes going through tough stuff, he had to get used to sometimes going through easy stuff because sometimes that's hard, especially when you think I don't deserve it. Jesus said, Jesus said, let your light shine before all men, right? And he says, nobody puts a lamp under a basket. And hides it from everybody. But he places it on a lampstand so that it shines and gives light to all that are in the house. Here's something you got to get used to. 
At some point in your life, God's going to put you on top of a lampstand and you're going to say, what am I doing up here? Not comfortable here. People are looking at me. People are judging me. People are saying you don't deserve to be there. But he says, I put you there. If God puts you on the lampstand, stay on the lampstand. Because what you're doing is you're giving light to those that are in the house. People are seeing it. What does he say? People, let, let, your good, let your light shine before men that they would see your good works and they would glorify your fathers in heaven. See, false humility says, I don't want anyone to ever see me. Don't look at me. You're like a hunchback of Notre Dame. Don't look at me. Not Disney. Come on. The real thing. The real thing, guys. Don't look at me. I, I, I gotta, I, don't look at me. Just look at Jesus. Don't look at me. Just, just look at Jesus. What did Jesus say? Let them look at you. Because if you're living a, the life of humility in Christ, they're not going to see you. They're going to see Jesus in you. And when they see your good works, see, when it's you and you're proud and you're haughty, when they see your good works, then the expectation is that they glorify you. But when you're humble and you give glory to God, when they see your good works, they glorify God. You know, churches, in the book of Revelation, Jesus describes churches as lampstands. He says, guys, if you don't get your act together, I'm going to have to remove the stand. And what's he talking about? He's saying you're having an influence. Your light is shining to those in the house. When he's talking about the house, he's not talking about the house of God because those people already have light. He's talking about the people that don't have light. Sometimes God elevates you so that people who don't have light will see his light. And you have to be comfortable with that just as you were comfortable being placed on, the, on, just, you know, on the floor. Humble yourself. Under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you at the proper time. In the book of James, well, you know what, let me finish it, and then you'll turn to James. He says, because I shouldn't cut him off in the middle of a sentence. He'll exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. You ever felt anxious that you're never going to get where you're supposed to be because nobody recognizes it? Or maybe, you know, nobody's helped me get to the top. You know, if you cast your anxiety on him, he'll care for you. He'll take care of it. And he'll put you where you need to be at the right time. This is not fatalism. This isn't saying that everybody always ends up where they're supposed to be. It says the humble will be exalted. You see, you could misread this scripture and go, everybody's where they're supposed to be. If God wants you there, he'll put you there. That's not what it says, is it? It says if you humble yourself, he'll exalt you. So the implication is there's people that won't humble themselves and they'll be opposed. Even if at some point they should have been exalted because they were proud, they couldn't be exalted. God's not going to exalt somebody who's proud. A proud person is going to do way more damage on the lampstand than they did on the floor. So anyways, you cast your anxiety on him. You know when I used to read this as a kid? Because uh, my parents taught me, cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. Cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. Do you, you know, I look worried. Are you worried? Cast your cares on him. And so I used to think that when we gave our cares to Jesus, you know, because we always heard of the sea of forgetfulness, where he put our sin and I kind of thought that we, we took these precious things that were like really important to us and we gave them to God like, okay, here you go. And he's like, okay, thank you. See you, forgetfulness. And I thought, I don't want to give it to Jesus. He'll just throw it in the sea of forgetfulness and it's still a problem. <laughs> That's not what it says. In fact, it became clear one, one time a, a teacher who's a little bit more of an expert in, in Middle Eastern history and, and biblical studies, he explained it and it clicked for me for the first time where... Well, it clicked for me before, but it really clicked for me when we explained that, you know, you'd have two uh, beasts of burden. And often when, when you've been taking a, an ox or a mule or something, well, probably not, yeah, that's been carrying your stuff and uh, it's been going a long way and it's getting tired, you would cast the burden on that animal onto another animal. And that animal would bear that animal's burden. It was called, you know, casting it onto this animal so this animal would carry it for the rest of the way. And so he explained that when we cast our cares on him, he is carrying what you, nor- what you were trying to carry, he's carrying. And that, that is borne out by what he says because he cares for you. 
Isn't it wonderful to know he cares for you? That he's not just like, ah, quit whining. He cares. He's taking care of it. In the book of James, anybody here read the book of James recently? Yeah, I like the book of James. Sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm like, James, chill out, man. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, James, too much caffeine, brother. No, I know that the, James wrote that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and I received it as a word from God. It's not a word from James, it's a word from God. Sometimes James is addressing good believers, and sometimes he's addressing people on the fence, and sometimes he's addressing people that still haven't made a decision. And you'll, you can tell why, because he tells them who he's talking to. He says, at some points he says, you sinners. He's not talking to these nice, he's not talking to the, to the believers, he's talking to the sinners that still haven't made up their mind. But look what he says in James, and uh, well, let's figure out where we're going to start. We're gonna, definitely chapter 4. Let me tell you what verse in a minute. James 4, let's just start from the verse 1. That would give you a more contextual experience. He says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source, your pleasures, that wage war in your members? What's he saying? He's saying the reason you're fighting is because you're picking the wrong thing. to The thing that satisfies you is not Jesus. The thing that satisfies you is all this other stuff. And, and, and your pride and your greed and all these things are causing a fight amongst the body. He says, you lust and you don't have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He says, the reason you don't have is because you don't ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you might spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility with God? Now, hang on a minute. You read that and go, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to be friends with anybody outside the church? What he's talking about is not the world as in people in the world. He's talking about the world system. You got to pick, am I part of the kingdom or am I part of the world? Jesus says we are in the world, but we are not of the world. You know, the Bible says in John 3 that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And when he uses the word world there, he's talking about the people in the world. He loved the people so much that he gave his son. But in 1 John, the, the book that talks about love more than like any other book in the Bible, he says, don't love the world or the things in the world. And I remember when I first read that, I said, the Greek will save me. The Greek will save me. It's a different kind of love. I'm sure of it. No, both of them. Same agape love. And he's not talking about the world as in don't love people. He says don't fall in love with the system. Don't fall in love with the culture. Don't fall in love with the way everybody else does something. Love the kingdom. Love Jesus. Love the Father. And the Father's love will be in you for the people of the world. But don't fall in love with the way the world does everything. And here he says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility with God toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You want everybody to like you. You want to be popular. You want to fit in. Uh, you're, you're going to find yourself compromised. You're going to find yourself contradicting uh, the Savior who gave his life to purchase your life. It says this, or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires a spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Isn't that awesome? Thank God that word appeared just then. I was getting depressed. He says he gives a greater grace. A greater grace. Don't you know the grace of God is bigger than your demand on the grace of God? Your great, the, the supply is greater than the demand. The Bible says where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. The Bible doesn't say grace matched it head for head, toe for toe. It says where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. And here he says, God gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God. Means you put yourself under his authority, and then when you resist the devil, he will flee from you. See, a lot of times we quote that verse, resist the devil, he will flee from you. But don't quote that verse without quoting the rest of the sentence. Don't just say resist the devil and he will flee from you. Because there's a lot of people trying to resist the devil, and he's not running away. And the reason is because they're not submitted to God. 
unless you're submitted to God, the devil is not afraid of somebody that's not attached to the vine. Not a, I mean, he's not afraid of some, some Joe Schmo who thinks he's strong enough to whip him on his own. He is terrified of somebody who stands in Christ, someone submitted to God, someone who knows who they are in Jesus. He is terrified of you. The Bible says flee. He flees. And I remember when my parents would tell me what that meant in the original language. So I was a little kid, and you'd always, I always remember from a little kid, you know, they'd say, and he will flee from you, and then they'd add it at the end. Run away in stark terror. And I didn't know what stark terror was, but I knew that the devil had it when he got around me. <laughs> Satan, I resist you in Jesus' name. You run away in stark terror. <laughs> well, someday I'm going to figure out what that is. <laughs> <laughs> kind of knew what terror was. What's the stark? Is that when you're naked and you're terrified? No. <laughs> Couldn't figure it out. He'll run away, terrified of you. Why? Because he looks at who's behind you. He looks at who's in you. He looks at who's above you. He's running away from the power of God. Thank God. Do you realize, guys, that no matter how messed up your life has been, no matter how, how much of a twisted heap of metal it's become, if you will humble yourself, God will give you the grace, all the grace you need to not only overcome, but to become something you never could have been on your own. Willpower is only so effective. In fact, it's ineffective against sin. But the grace of God will deliver you from it. The grace of God will deliver you from addiction. The grace of God will deliver you from habits you haven't been able to break. The grace of God will deliver you from cycles that you've been going over and over again because one day you just try harder and you try harder and you think you're free, but you fall back into it. But when you humble yourself and say, God, I am tired of trying to do this without you. I need you. He exalts you. He causes the enemy to flee from you. And, you know, when you resist the devil and you're submitted to God, the next time you stand up to that thing, have you ever felt like, well, that was too easy? It wasn't supposed to be that easy. It wasn't supposed to be that easy. How, how did that happen? Because you've submitted to God, and his grace is greater. I want to tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said that there was a man, there's another time that he talked about humbling yourself and, and, and God would exalt you. Talked about a man who is a Pharisee, a religious leader. And this religious leader is naming off all the things he's glad he's not. He prays a prayer and says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like these guys. I'm not like these guys. I'm not like these guys. I don't do what they do. I don't do what they do. I don't do what they do. You ever heard somebody pray a prayer like that? It's not really about God. They put, thank you. I, I want to thank you, God, but really it's a brag fest 2014. They're just, they want to tell you all the things that they aren't and the things that they are. He says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy. I thank you, God, that I don't do that. I thank you, God, I'm not like them. And there's another man in the same, same area that's praying to God. He says, God, I'm a mess. I, I, I'm a mess. My life is a mess. The Bible says he's a tax collector, the lowest of the low. He says, I'm a cheater. I'm a liar. I'm a mess. I, I have mercy on me. The scripture says, Jesus says, which one, of you think, which one of you think that got forgiven? Which one of you do you figure, did God hear his prayer? Which one of you think he's got his prayer answered? He says, it's the guy who humbled himself. Humble yourself, he says, and God will exalt you. Why? Because that one guy, that religious guy, he might have had a pretty good, well put together life on the outside. But he was doing it on his own. And the Bible says, all of our attempts at righteousness are just like filthy rags. But the robe of righteousness that he places on you is a clean robe which can never be torn. And I want to tell you today that wherever your life is, if you're the put-together person or if you're the person who says my life is a mess, we all must now clothe ourselves with humility and realize that God will give you grace to be who you're meant to be when you say, Without you, I'm nothing. And with you, I can do all things. And you recognize that everybody that God puts in the, it, it, it just totally helps you. Because no longer do you look down on anyone. No longer. 
Do you have strife based on who's more important? Because you recognize everybody around you right now, all these people sitting around you, are there because of the same grace that was given to you. Are who they are because of the same grace that made you who you are. So none of us can claim that we earned our position. None of us can claim that we deserve to be where we are. None of us can claim that we were better, therefore we've earned this honor. We all understand that Jesus has made us worthy, and we all need it just as much as the next guy. And so thank God we stand, and we're able to look at each other and honor one another and lift each other up and not be afraid to humble ourselves, not be afraid to sit at the low seat, because we say, you know what, we're all candidates of the grace of God. We're all flawed, but not anymore. Because who we are now, the life I live, the Apostle Paul said, the life I live, I don't live that more. I've been crucified with Christ. And the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Revelation, he loved me. It's worth my life now. It's worth everything I have that he loved me. And that old guy I used to be, he's been crucified. In fact, Paul at another place, he goes off his list. He said, you know what, guys? If you want to have a face-off on who has a better genealogy, if you want to have a face-off on who has a better education, if you want to have a face-off on who, who served God the most passionately, he said, I'd win in all those things. Because before I found Jesus, I was that guy. But he says, all of those things now, I consider them dung. I count them as loss for the sake of knowing him. Those things don't matter because who I am now is all because of Jesus. Clothe yourself with humility, guys. God will lift you up. Don't push you. Don't feel like you got to cast that anxiety on him, that anxiety that says you need to push your way through. You need to climb, step on some heads, and get to the top. Clothe yourself with humility and realize if I will humble myself, he'll put me right at the seat I need to be And nobody can tell me, no matter how I look, no matter how I smell, no matter what my background is, nobody can tell me I don't belong because Jesus put me there. That's the most beautiful thing, isn't it? It'd probably be a good idea not to be the person at at the banquet that goes around judging everybody for where they're sitting because how do you know that's not where Jesus put them? I found that sometimes you go, huh, why is that guy doing that? Who put them in that position? And sometimes I've learned to shut up and just say, if Jesus put them there, now maybe they push their way there, but that's not my business. <laughs> that's between them and God. And if they push their way there, they're going to find themselves resisting God. So they'll, they'll get theirs. But who am I to tell them they, can't, they don't belong there? Because I didn't belong where I am, but Jesus put me here. So thank God we can all be hum- humble towards one another, and we can all get ready to be exalted at the proper time. Amen? Stand up with me. God is so good to us. He's been wonderful to us. He's been faithful. You know, I thank God for the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? The gospel is simply this. The gospel, gospel just means good news. The good news is this, that we were all unworthy of God because all of us had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So God himself took upon himself to bear the sins of many. And Jesus came to earth, the son of God, to take your sins and your flaws and your failures And to pay the full penalty for them. The full penalty. Not a down payment. Not a mortgage payment. He paid the full penalty for it. And as he took your sin, when he rose, he transferred to you his righteousness. The scripture says that he died so that we'd be so that he died so that we'd be forgiven. He died so we'd be cleansed. He died that, that our sin would be on him. But he was raised for our justification. So when he died for us, that old messed up person we used to be died with him. But when he rose again, when we're risen with Christ, there's a new person that comes out of that. The old person died with Christ, but a new person was raised with Christ. And thank God, I'm thankful that old things have passed away. Behold, a new creature has come. I'm a new person. 
New things have come. Old things have passed away. If there's anybody here this morning who has never received Jesus and you've never given your life to Jesus and you stand like that man that we talked about, that Jesus talked about, you're, you're that guy who says, I'm not worthy. I, uh, I've messed up too much. I don't know how you could forgive me. But you understand what we understand, that God will forgive you not because of your goodness, but because of his goodness. Not because of your capacity to love, but because of his. So if there's anyone here this morning that has never received Jesus, and this morning you'd like to, would you just raise your hand? Is there anybody this morning? I don't know everybody, so please don't, please don't feel bad if you say, well, I know Jesus. Why don't you know I know Jesus? Well, we want to give you an opportunity. If we're all born again in the room this morning, then we understand we've all been saved by the same grace. We've all been grasped by the same Savior's hand. And we all are qualified by him. Equipped by him, called by him. Isn't that good news that he called you, he equipped you? That he made you who you never could be on your own? Lord, we ask you this morning that your humility, that we, we'd be able to learn your humility. God, it's confusing because when we look at the world, their version of humility is fake. It's plastic. It's false. It's, it's useless. But your humility it's not insecure. Your humility is not fearful. Your humility is not doubtful. Your humility is full of faith. Your humility is strong. Your humility knows who we are in Christ. We want that, Lord. That's what we want. That's what we want. That's what we need. So, Lord, we ask you that you would change our hearts. You would, God, if there's pride left, if there's pride that we've kind of left kicking around, if we've been dealing with it, We've been trying to deal with it. We've been fighting it. We ask, Lord, that you would just completely wash over that, that we would get a revelation of your love, your grace, who you are, that that pride would not have a, a foothold in our life, but we'd be free from it in the name of Jesus. In the same breath, for those of you who have fought over and over again, you fought insecurity. I want you to know that insecurity and pride ironically come from the same place. <laughs> but just as God could set you free from pride, he can set you free from insecurity. That you would be secure in him. So in the name of Jesus, I ask, Lord, that you would cause anyone that says, I have been insecure, I've been struggling all my life, or I've been struggling lately, to say, I don't know how I belong, I don't know where I belong, I don't feel like I belong anywhere, I don't feel like I can do what you're telling me to do, and we're insecure, and we're, we're fighting it and fearful, that in the name of Jesus, your strength, your peace, and your humility that says, I know who I am, by the grace of God, I am who I am. That would grip them Cause them to rise up and be confident in who they are in you. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Now, if there are any, any here today that you need prayer, would you just come up? If you need prayer today, we're going to pray with you. We believe that the God of all grace has more than enough for you. That that same Jesus Christ who healed the sick 2,000 years ago can heal the sick today. He can, he can the same Jesus Christ that delivered 2,000 years ago delivers today. Is there anyone that needs prayer this morning? Because the reason I ask is because we got a whole crowd, a whole house of believers. We might as well pray together. Amen.